you're listening to the Sojourn Church Carlisle podcast. Over the next three weeks, we will be seeking to further understand our church's value of maturity. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. In this sermon series, we will be walking through Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20-27 through 27, to help us more fully understand what it means for us as a church to guard our hearts with wisdom. Peace be with you. You got me? There we go. We'll try again. Peace be with you. Happy New Year. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, if you're able, uh, please stand with us for the reading of God's Word. Uh, today we're going to be continuing on in our series, um, Guard Your Heart, looking at Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. Um, today, specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Before we begin uh, this morning, we will turn our um, attention to God in prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that this morning, that as we begin a new year, we ask that you would incline our hearts to you. We ask, God, that as we turn our attention to your word, which is living and active, that you would speak to us this morning. We need your help, God, to open up our hearts, to open up our minds, to open up our eyes to see. And so we ask that this morning, as we look at what it means to guard our hearts with your word, that you would do just that, that you would help us to have fertile hearts open and inclined to you. I pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I I said earlier last week, we started a new sermon series entitled Guard Your Heart, where we're looking at Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. Um, And this sermon series, it goes along with our church's value of maturity, um, which in Ephesians 4 tells us our maturity is measured against Christ as our standard. It's not necessarily about some standard set up by the world. We're not trying to um, look at heroes in the secular realm and say, hey, they're what maturity is. Let me look like them. As Ephesians 4 says, our church's value of maturity has its measure uh, measured against Christ as our standard. So this past year, it's been disruptive to say the least. It's been hard. Last week, Pastor James um, as he set up our series for the next couple weeks, he talked about how revealing this year has been for a lot of us. He gave the illustration of, of a painter having um, a, a mural drawn and leaving a, a wash bucket for his paintbrushes and somebody kicking over the bucket. The bucket represents our hearts, right? When it gets kicked over, when trials and tribulations come, What spills out of the bucket is what is really inside of us. 
This has been revealing for a lot of us in the church, outside the church, (laughs) worldwide. For many, this has been a a challenging year for, for mental health, right, which we can see the stresses and the anxieties and the fears pressed upon us, it, it comes out in different ways. A report in June said that 40% of U.S. adults reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse. A study done a little bit later in August showed that 10.7% of those surveyed had thoughts of suicide, which was up from 4.3% in 2018. From 2019 to 2020, symptoms of anxiety were reported three times higher and symptoms of depression four times higher. One study in Boston University looking at 18 to 24-year-olds specifically, the study indicated that 25% had considered suicide. One of the authors of this study, or the um, the psychologist that worked on the study at Boston University, she said these rates, talking about anxiety, depression, and then um, uh, thoughts of suicide, considering suicide, those rates were higher, she said, than these three large events, September 11th, Hurricane Katrina, and the Hong Kong unrest, for those in that area. So again, like that illustration Pastor James shared with us last week, like a bucket kicked over... (laughs) Our buckets were kicked over this year, revealing what's really going on inside of us. So that's why we're looking at this series. That's why we're focusing in on Proverbs 4.23, which again, it says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It is the control center, the command center. What flows out of that shows what and who you really are. So last week, Pastor James talked, kind of gave us an overview of the series, talked about helping us understand the realities at play within our hearts. Today, we're going to do a little bit more of a, a practical turn and look at how. How do we actually do this? What do we do to guard our hearts? I think Proverbs 4, 20 and 21, if you look there with me, they give us an inclination of that. Solomon, the author of Proverbs, writing to his son, he says, My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. So in its immediate context, one of the beautiful things about Proverbs is we're getting a glimpse inside a father's letter or uh, teachings to his son, right? He's literally talking to his son and saying, here's the whole book. He's saying, here's my wisdom. Here are the things that I, as a father, as a king, as a man of God, have learned over my life. And he tells his son, pay attention to them. Listen closely to what I'm telling you. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. But in the broader context, right, we know Solomon wouldn't say that only read Psalms, right? He wouldn't tell his sons, hey, as a good Jewish man, he wouldn't say, just read the things or know the things I'm telling you. Don't worry about anything else, right? So we as the church, we can kind of zoom out a little bit and see that if, if Proverbs is this command to study, to, to learn, to know, that when we read the words, pay attention to my words, we can zoom out a little bit and see that Solomon is encouraging us to guard our hearts with all of Scripture, 
with all of God's word, with all of God's counsel. So how, one way, how do we guard our hearts? It's by devoting ourselves to God's word. Again, to replace uh, Proverbs 4.20 to 21, right? Think about this in terms of scripture. My son or my daughter, God speaking to you, pay attention to my big W word. Listen closely to my big W word. Don't lose sight of my teachings. Keep my word within your heart. So today we're, we're, we're taking it back to the basics, y'all, <laughs> okay? We're going to look at what it means to really pursue and devote ourselves to God's word. I love the NLT translation of Proverbs 4.21. It says, don't lose sight of my words. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you're an outline person, um, here's where we're going. First, we're going to see the fruit of God's word. What are the benefits? What actually is the good part of studying and devoting ourselves to God's word? Second, we're going to look at what gets in the way, what stops us, what hinders us, what trips us up. And then lastly, we're going to get really practical. Where do we go from here? How can I leave these doors at 12 o'clock and do this? <laughs> what does it mean for me to do this? So first, the fruit of God's word. Um, author, well-known author, Simon Sinek, he's a leadership um, and technology guy. He has a book called Start With Why, and he says there's two ways to influence human behavior. You can manipulate it, or you can inspire it. So it's interesting here, look, the God of the universe, he could have hardwired us to literally need to read God's word, Right? Just like he does with food, like you can't make it so long without food. Just like we need water, you can't make it so long without water. He literally could have created us. <laughs> he could have wired us in the fiber of our being to need to read his word to live. Now, in a physical sense, we, we don't have to do that, right? God could have manipulated us, created us in such a way to need to do that, to manipulate us into spending time learning who he is, but he didn't create automatic robots, okay? But rather, as, as Simon Sinek puts it, he inspires us. He gives us beautiful word pictures of what it means to flourish in God, what it means to read and devote ourselves to his word. One of the most beautiful pictures, I would argue, of what it looks like to devote yourself to God's word is in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, God's law, he meditates day and night. And then God gives us this beautiful word picture. He says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So that's an inspirational picture, right? Again, God didn't manipulate us. He doesn't manipulate us into, into reading his word. He inspires us to say, look at what flourishing could look like for those who are devoted to my law and to my commandments. God also shows us throughout his word the real benefits of what it means to have our hearts guarded by his word. So there's four big things that we see in Scripture. The first benefit that we see in Scripture 
is that God's word gives us life. John 6, 68 says, Simon Peter talking to Jesus, when Jesus gives them the opportunity, his disciples to leave and go elsewhere, uh, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? (laughs) You have the words of eternal life. He's like, we have no other options, Jesus. Where else are we going to go to experience life? The very words of Jesus, Simon recognized, they give eternal life. But we need to remember, it's not the words, the physical words themselves, right? That's what the religious leaders got wrong. But God's word gives us life because it points us to the life giver. That's what Proverbs 4.23 in a different way tells us, right? Or 4.22, for, the, for they, the words, my instructions, Solomon says, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's body. Solomon is saying, my very words, or God's very words, the instructions that he gives actually produce in you health. And he's saying physically, right? We know this is spiritual as well, but there's, very, there's, a very real, there's a very real picture here of health to one's body. So first, God's word gives us life. Second, God's word gives us hope. Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatever was written, think God's word, written in the past was written for our, as the church, instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Look, in bleak times, we, we need hope. Hope allows us to look forward, to see light, even when it feels like the darkness is surrounding us. But the scripture tells us our, our hope isn't in the changing of a single number on our calendars, right? The same problems you had December 31st likely are around right now. Our hope is not in a vaccine. Our hope is in, not in humanity getting things figured out generally speaking. Our hope is not in our money. Our hope is not in our education. As Romans says, our hope comes from God's word. Why is that? It's because it shows who God is, right? It points not only to his past faithfulness, but also to his future promises. When we look at God's word, we experience hope because we see who God is and who he has always been. We see in scriptures what God, has, what God has done and what God will do for us. So in it, we find hope. We also find joy. John 15, 11, Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, I have told you these things. Again, think Jesus's words. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. God's word, it should produce in us joy and unshakable contentment regardless of the circumstances around us. Joy comes from seeing and knowing our position before God, knowing that we are sons and daughters of King Jesus, regardless of whether we're going through a pandemic or going through hardships at home, regardless of these things, our joy should be complete in God through knowing who he is in his word. So God's word, it gives life, it gives hope, it gives joy. And lastly, produces fruit. We see fruitfulness from God's word. Again, looking at the picture of Psalm 1 that God gives us, it says, instead, his delight, instead of in the the counsel of the wicked, it says, his delight 
is in the Lord's instruction. And he or she meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted besides flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. We see God's word should change us. God's word produces fruit in us. It should produce fruit in us. And if it doesn't, the issue is not because God's word is faulty. The issue rests in our hearts that we as sinful men and women have fickle hearts still, even if we're redeemed by God. Here's what Hebrews says about the effectiveness of God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division. So he's saying piercing deep down within your heart, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word brings about fruit if the soil of the heart is fertile. If God's word doesn't bring about fruit, you may be approaching it more like the Pharisees, right? You're seeking to master a book, to know all the facts about it, rather than to know the, the, the master of the book, if you will. You're after information rather than transformation. If you know all the tribes of Judah, but you haven't been moved to love your neighbor, you may be reading God's word wrong. If you can recite the books of the Bible to me, but you haven't been stirred with compassion towards your wife, you may be reading the Bible the wrong way. The Bible brings about transformation. It brings about fruit in our lives. So the benefits are there, right? Life, hope, joy, fruitfulness, they all rest in allowing the word of God to penetrate every nook and cranny of our hearts. So what gets in the way? Reading the Bible is hard, right? <laughs> Can I get an amen from anyone? No, just me? Thanks, pastor. All right. All right. Just us. I think there's several reasons, but we're going to look at, a, look at a couple. Sorry, four. Not a couple, it's four. The first, if we can be honest, right? Can we all be honest here? Is this a safe space? Yeah. We don't want to read God's word. Man. Now there's probably a lot of reasons, right? It's hard work. (laughs) It takes discipline. If we're really going to engage God's word, it requires us to submit to something outside of ourself to yield to something. But if you think about the hard work, the discipline that it takes, like we're willing to do those things for other things, right? It's like you get stuck on a level and what's, whatever a cool video, what's a cool video game, Jordan? Zelda, I don't know. Do we play Zelda anymore? You get stuck on a level in Link, right? I know Samuel likes Link, right? You get stuck there and then what do you do? You keep trying, right? You go look at like guides online, right? So we put forth effort for certain things. Why do we not do that for scripture? Yes, it's hard. All right, I got you. The reality, we need to say, simply own it and say, I don't want to, right? If I go to the doctor and say my elbow hurts when really like I have rumblies in my tummy, right? Like, and I'm embarrassed to say that. He's not going to diagnose me right. If we can get to the core of the issue and simply say, I don't want to read God's word. Now we're getting somewhere, right? 
Look, at the root of it, at the root of the issue is that our hearts are simply not always inclined to read God's word. But admitting that and confessing that actually gets us somewhere. Pastor John Piper, who writes so much stuff on on scripture and is so helpful, he has these prayers that he calls the IOUs, okay? The IOUs. He says every time before he engages God's word, he prays these things because he's aware of these barriers that stand in his way. So for the barrier of not wanting to read God's word, John Piper says with scripture to pray, God, incline my heart to your word. He literally prays Psalm 119.36, turn my heart, incline my heart to your decrees, to your word, God, and not to dishonest prophet. Look, the psalmist is no better than us. He needs God's help too, right? This person literally has scripture that he's written and he's saying, God, I need you to incline my heart to you. Turn my heart in your direction. The psalmist needs help from God to turn his heart towards him. So do we. This is real life. If you don't have a desire to read God's word, pray that God would incline your heart to him. He may just answer you. <laughs> so the first barrier, we don't want to. The second is we don't understand. Again, if we can be real for a second, right? The Bible's hard to understand sometimes. It's a huge book. It's three times as long as Moby Dick. It's 30% longer than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. 24,000 words more than War and Peace. It's a big stinking book. It's hard to wrap your mind around all of it. There's cultural references we don't get. There's history we don't remember. There's places on the map that we can't simply put around, right? Like if you say where California is, I know. But if you say where Gomorrah is, I'm like, that that direction, right? It's hard. Again, what's beautiful is we're not alone, right? Peter, the rock of the church, he talks about how Paul's hard to understand. Again, this dude has written scripture and he talks about scripture, Here's what he says in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16. It says, Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things that are hard to understand in them. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Thank you, Paul, for saying the things that I feel when I read God's word sometimes. So what do we do with that, right? Well, I mean, first... It takes time to understand God's word. So give yourself grace, right? Peter gives himself grace because he's like, I don't get Paul. Do you guys get Paul? No? Give yourself grace. God gives you grace. There's also countless resources to help you understand, right? If you don't have a good study Bible, grab one or I'll buy one for you. We have resources abounding for us to simply look and say, okay, I don't get that. Maybe someone else does. And then lastly, joining in with Pastor Piper's prayers, right? Pray, ask God to open your eyes. So incline my heart, God, open my eyes. This is what the psalmist writes about Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. The reality is we can't truly understand scripture without God's help. People study scriptures for decades, 
But if the Spirit hasn't inclined us, if the Spirit doesn't open our, of our, open our eyes to, re, to reveal their spiritual realities in it, then it's nothing more than another book of literature, right? By War and Peace and Lord of the Rings, right? It's just another book. We have to ask that the Spirit would open up our eyes, right? We see this reality that people are blinded to God's Word. Ezekiel 12, 2 says, Son of man, you're living among a rebellious house. They have eyes to see, but do not see. Well, that doesn't make sense. And ears to hear, but do not hear. Well, that doesn't make sense either. If you have ears, can't you hear? For they are a rebellious house, right? There's spiritual blindness around God's word that has to be revealed to us. This is what we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. It says, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So what the scripture is saying is that there is a real spiritual element that is blocking our ability to see. And we need God to help us see. (laughs) It's that simple. So pray and ask. So barriers, we don't want to, we don't understand. Third, we're distracted. We open our Bibles. Of course, the kids start screaming. We didn't turn the TV off, right? So all the pundits are talking about stuff. Maybe your tummy is rumbling for breakfast. You're like, do I do eggs, pancakes? Your to-do list is bouncing around. It's like, well, man, I got to send that email. I got to take and and get my inspection sticker, you know, like all this stuff's bouncing around. On top of all that, we have these little devices in our pockets that have these little apps that are built in such a way that they distract you, Literally, we're distracted. Our devices, if I can talk for a minute, have literally reshaped our ability to focus. Here's what one author who's a a professor at Columbia Law School, he says, I think the more you primarily consume tiny bits of information, the harder it gets to consume larger pieces of information. The more you consume... Little news headlines or hot takes on Twitter or however long TikTok videos are, right? The, the, more you cons- the more you primarily consume those tiny bits of information, the harder it gets to consume larger pieces of information. Look, the distractions, though seemingly innocuous, right? They're not necessarily evil in themselves. They're not bad, right? They're not inherently bad. They can have grave consequences, in his book, uh, Screwtape Letters, um, C.S. Lewis, he uh, writes from the perspective of a demon counseling a younger demon, right? So it's a different take on, on, uh, on the spiritual realm, if you will. And he's got this, past, or this, this letter where um, the main character is talking to one of his protégés, and he says this, remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, who the enemy in this book is Jesus, right? These demons are against Jesus. So the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect 
is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So what Lewis is getting at is the point of temptation is to literally drive a slow wedge between you and Jesus. No, no major milestones, no big signposts, right? He's saying it's just to gradually get in the way, to gradually steer you away from intimacy with Christ. So he says murder is no better than cards. If we can update it today, murder is no better than Instagram or Facebook. Murder is no better than Netflix. Mur- murder is no better than video games. If we're distracted from doing the things that guard our hearts, then what Lewis is saying is that we're on the gradual road to hell. Again, none of those things are evil in themselves. Hear me say that, y'all. None of those things are evil in themselves. But if those things are getting in the way of intimacy and driving you away from Christ, then it's the gradual road to hell, as he says. So what do we do when our, our, our hearts are distracted, when there's literally things pulling us apart? We pray, God, unite my heart. Psalm 86, 11, it says, teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind or heart to fear your name. Throughout scripture, we see this idea that God rewards wholehearted pursuit. Not a little bit here, not a dash there, wholehearted pursuit. Deuteronomy 4.25, but from there you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with, your, with all your heart and all your soul. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with, your, with all your heart. When we pursue the Lord with our whole heart, we will find him is what scripture says. But we need him to give us this united, undistracted heart. So the final barrier that I think gets in the way of us reading scripture, of us devoting ourselves to the word of the, letting the word guard our hearts and penetrate every nook and cranny of it, as Proverbs says, is we, we simply don't feel anything. The word doesn't stir anything up within us. Maybe you've been reading the Bible for decades, or maybe you've just started your Christian journey and you're trying to read the word, but you open it and there's just nothing happening. It doesn't stir any affections within you. The reality is we, we lack satisfaction deep within us in God's word. So we can cry out to God and say, satisfy us. Psalm 90, 14, satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. With these barriers, when they get in our way, we can cry out to God and ask him to help us in these things. We can ask him to incline our heart, to open our eyes, to unite our disjointed and and distracted hearts. We can ask him to satisfy us. God, help me be satisfied in you, moved deep within my core at what is in your word. So where, where do we go from here? This is really simple, really pragmatic. 
the first thing that we need to do is to resolve to engage, I'm using that word intentionally, engage God's word more than we did last year. If you're here today and you're like, man, 2020, I did not read my Bible one time. Okay, that's okay. All right. If you didn't run it all last year, though, you're not going to go run 10 miles right now, right? Right? Yes. Nods. No one's going to run 10 miles that hasn't run it all last year. Start where you are. Engaging one day a week in God's word. Again, I'm using engaging intentionally. I'll tell you why. Engaging one day a week in God's word is more than zero. (laughs) And if you're engaging it appropriately, that's a really good start. When I say engaging, right, I think sometimes, look, I know Pastor James and I are nerds. We love to read. Not everyone likes to read, okay? I get it. So even the idea of reading God's word is hard, right? The, maybe the biggest barrier is like, I hate reading, right? It's like, okay, for literally thousands of years, the word of God was not in print, bundled together like a nice book for you to take That's a hymnal, but there's a Bible down here. It wasn't bundled together like this for thousands of years. People had to listen to it, hear it, and novel idea, remember it, memorize it, so that then when they're walking around, they can recite scripture, right? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, right? When we have these things in our hearts, then it's always there. So engaging the word, it's more than reading. If you hate reading, there's hope for you, right? Listen, there are so many resources. The YouVersion Bible app, which is like, I think the most downloaded app for all devices in history of devices, right? Open it up down in the bottom middle. I'm gonna instruct you down the bottom middle. There's a play button. Maybe you didn't know what it did. If you hit it, it tells you what the verses are saying. Listen to God's word. If you hate reading, I talk all the time about Streetlights Bible. It's hip hop beats with God's word read over it. It's great. There's a new app called Dwell. It's paid, so maybe you don't want to go that route. No one pays for apps, right? But listen to God's word. That's why I say engage, right? If you hate reading, okay. I, I don't care, but you need to engage God's word somehow. So resolve to, resolve to engage God's word more than you did last year. I'll say, first, first step, pick a plan, right? Shameless plug. Can I get my slide up, Morgan? Read the word, right? We're doing a church Bible reading plan. Some of y'all signed up, which I'm pumped about. This is like the one time I'm going to give you permission if you're like, hey, I'll try, right? Go to the website right now and register. I open up the window again for you guys. You can start. You may be three days late, but... Press play on the version app, listen really quick, catch up, you're good. But pick a plan, okay? Maybe you're like, hey, I, I, can't, I can't just start reading God's word like, and read five days a week. That's cool. That's totally fine. Start with a New Testament plan and just try and work through. Do what's suitable for you, but pick a plan. Start somewhere. The, the open up the Bible and point your finger, that is not an effective way to read God's word. Okay? It's like if you go to Planet Fitness and just point at machines and start doing them, right? It's like that's not effective. That's not focused. That's not how you train your body. Okay? Pick a plan. 
Second, ask God to help you with your biggest barrier. Again, reading the word is not always easy. Like anything that's good for us, it takes effort. If things that were good for us didn't take effort, we would all have six packs, right? But we don't, right? I still got the COVID-19 belly going, right? It's there. Guys, reading God's word, it takes effort. So ask God to help you with these barriers. We all need God's help, but the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So if you're a Spirit-indwelled person, if you have been regenerated and your heart has been changed, you can be self-controlled. You can be disciplined because the Spirit helps you to do that. It comes with being a Christ follower. But we can pray and ask God to help us with our biggest barriers that we face. And then the last thing, really simple, is to invite others in to your resolution. If you go and pick a reading plan and you don't tell anybody, when you hit Leviticus, you're done. Sorry. (laughs) February is the month that all reading plans go to die. But if you invite others in (laughs) and someone texts you on February 4th when you hit Leviticus 2, they're like, hey, are you still reading? You're like, I mean, I'm trying, right? That accountability helps, right? Maybe you can say, hey, bro, why do they slaughter lambs? I don't get that. You guys can study together and then move forward together. But we need accountability for this stuff, right? No, no, no more of this privatized, individualized Christianity. I'm done with that, man. Invite others in. If you really want to do this, invite people in with you. Even if they're not reading with you, tell them. Tell your wife, tell your roommate. Say, hey man, I really, or or girl, I really want to read God's word this year. Will you ask me in 31 days how I'm doing? Those are practical next steps. Look, resolve to read. If you don't do anything else, resolve to engage God's word. Pick a plan and start somewhere. Ask God to remove all those barriers, or at least one. God, give me the want to. If you start there, that's great. And then invite others in. Ask others to to keep you accountable, to help you. Now, hear me in all this, right? I have to say that reading your Bible does not save you. It won't save you. That's what Jesus, when he's talking to the religious leaders who got it all wrong, he says to them, you study the scriptures diligently, good job, you learned all the facts, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The religious leaders read scripture to master it. They didn't realize that the scripture was pointing them to the master of the scripture, The religious leaders read the word, yeah, but they missed the word made flesh. We read scripture because in it we learn who God is. If you're here today, the encouragement, again, simply is to read God's word. Engage it. Step into it. Let it work on your heart and on your mind. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian... I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. Most people haven't gone to the sources. If they say they're not Christ followers, they, they simply are listening to second and third hand sources about, I don't know, like Richard Dawkins' hot takes on Twitter or something, right? It's like, read John. 
If you're here today and you have questions about Jesus, read the book of John and ask Jesus, point blank, Jesus, show me who you are. If you're who you say you are, show me. The reality is that in God's word, we find life, we find hope, we find fruitfulness. So we need to engage God's word as a church as we pursue maturity. We need to allow it to guard our hearts, to let God's word penetrate the crevices, the nooks and cranny of our hearts so that we can wholeheartedly pursue Jesus this year. Every Sunday when we gather together, uh, we partake in a meal together called communion. This meal is a reminder to us of what Christ has done on our behalf. It's a reminder that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you'd like to partake in communion with us, there should be individual communion cups in the pew backs. So we'll take this together. As the disciples were gathered around Jesus, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. So let's take and eat this bread together. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.